It is a pleasure to have the presence of God. As a matter of fact, it's more than a pleasure. I had, a, I had an experience this week. One of, the, one of the presenters at the convocation uh, in the last three days is uh, the pastor of a church that's within about uh, 30, 40 minutes of the metro area or of the center of the metro area. And he brought a bunch of the members that he has trained and the Lord has used them in healing. And so there's this 25, 30 people standing across the front. And you can see, first of all, that, I mean, they're just as down home as we are, you know. I mean, just plain old church members. But they have tasted of the power of God through them to someone else to meet a need. And it makes them different. They're addicts. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is addictive. And I want us to become, all of us, addicts. Now, some of you are because we say, when people are down here with needs, anybody would like to come, you always come. And you're always... Uh, right at the first of the line of those who want to pray and give the anointing and the blessing of the Lord to someone else. But um, that's, that's not just a special thing for this bunch down here, this bunch over here. If you've got no hair or, or no color in your hair, or what, then, then you qualify. No, no. If you know Jesus, then you qualify. Now, I know a man who would say, I'm preaching a lot better than your amening. <laughs> Anybody know him, forget about him for the moment and just start listening better and talking back to me better. By the way, at the convocation that we had, it was uh, discerning the times and uh, a number of us were there. Uh, including a bunch of our worship team. Nick is just knocked home runs and the people with him. Uh, we have these people that are just incredible. You, you already knew that. And uh, now the city knows that. So that was a fun thing. Here's what I want us to do. To, today, and if the Lord wills, next Sunday, I want to talk about prayer. Now, I've never preached on prayer here before. So if you're new, you'll know that this is the first time this ever happened. And if you believe that, God bless you. I don't know. That's one of my, one of my methods of communication is, um, is that sort of a statement. Because this is really old stuff. And so let me, let me tell you about prayer. Do it. That's, that's it. That's the first, last, and that's the end of the sermon you wish. But it's not. I'm not going to quit yet. James, the, the fourth chapter, has one of the most interesting passages. I've always been fascinated, a little bit intimidated by this. Um, follow with me. James 1, 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. 
you do not have because you do not ask God. And that's the line that I really want, but I want us to get this whole context. So let me read on. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. He didn't mind these slaps up beside the head. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? Now here comes the grace of God, but He gives more grace. And that's why the Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, whether you're awake asleep, whether you're praying, whether you're praising, whether you're ministering to somebody, or whether you're doing your job, here is what we need to do. Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves then to God. Do what? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And here's another one of those passages that's always fascinated me. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this passage that it says, grieve, mourn, and wail, it's not talking about when it's time to worship the Lord. It's talking about when we look at the things of the world and at the frustrations in our flesh and all of these goodies that we don't get. Stop celebrating the world. Grieve, mourn, and wail. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we come to God in weakness and start praising Him and enter into His joy, that becomes our strength. But we become so friendly with the world that it, it just dominates everything about us. I want, I, want to, uh, I want to talk to you just a little bit about our stance as prayers. Now, my prayer closet is a place that my wife likes to use to get ready. It's our bathroom. And when she's in another room or, or still asleep or whatever might be, that's a perfectly good prayer closet when she needs to be in there. She says to me this morning, uh, can you get cleaned up and, and then pray? And <laughs> that means, would you go ahead and get out of my way? That, I have the gift of interpretation. I, if you tell her I said that, I'll lie. But, you, you know, I, anyway. So I came over to the, I got cleaned up, came on over to the study and I looked around, and it was not my regular chair to kneel like I do in the, in the bathroom. And it is a chair. It's not the chair. It's a chair. <laughs> just, for the, just for your information. And so I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and pray this morning. And I did. I 
There's a chair that I sit in sometimes when I'm visiting with people in the study, and I, I just sat down in that and, and had my morning. I gave God his to-do list is what I say, and that's a little bit inaccurate, but part of it's that, Lord, I really do need this today. Would you do this? And uh, that's where you come in my prayer life and so forth. But anyway, we have this posture thing, and so we worry about uh, whether we're standing, kneeling, sitting. Uh, I remember one of the most powerful national Christian leaders, especially in the charismatic end of things, a number of years ago was teaching on prayer, and he says, he says you need to get down here and nail your belly button to the floor. And that's a good posture for prayer. But the posture that I'm talking about is our attitude. And let me put a comma there and give you a, a little bit of an update and, and review of what we've been studying the last few weeks and, and where the convocation was uh, these last three days where I and a bunch of you were. The Lord has revealed a series of facts that, that brings us to the understanding that indeed the United States has, has been chosen by God and could be called the people of God because of the prayers of consecration and the various things that went into the formation of our nation. So when, this, when these facts begin to come out, I begin, to, uh, I begin to say to myself, okay, uh, we're out of time. And it's time to get our work done. It is time to get the thing done or the series of things for which the Lord saved us. You were not saved by the good works that you used to do, do now, or will do in the future. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus finished that, did it all himself. He even comes in the power of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and gives us the faith to believe in that. So that even the faith that activates the grace of God in us is from God. So it's all from God. But here's where we come in. We have the opportunity to seek the Lord, humble ourselves, get the picture of what he wants us to do, and do it. Now, part of, part of the works that he wants for you to do is prayer. He wants intercessory prayer out of every Christian. We don't have in, listed in the New Testament the gift of prayer. You notice that? Because we're all supposed to be prayers. We do that work 100% across the board if we're functional in the kingdom of God. So here is, here's the picture. I want us to see our posture in prayer is to say this, I'm running out of time. This is so important. I, I want, I want you, you guys that a lot of times people don't look at teenagers and say, man, that's our prayer force. Well, why? Because they weren't, perhaps. Perhaps I wasn't. But, of course, that may imply that, that you're a little bit substandard on the human level. 
He said, yeah, that's what my mom tells me all the time. She just uses other words like dummy and so forth. No, that's not what I'm talking about. And let me, let me just show moms and dads, older brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandparents, of you guys have this. Here is what we do. I am really busy. I have so much to do. I have to take care of my adolescents. Don't we, don't we do, I mean, you have to, somebody needs to, so we do, I hope. But here, here's the thing. If we're running out of time, then let's, let's turn up the intensity of the quality of the time that we put into our adolescent or our pre-adolescent or our post-adolescent. Sometimes we wish they really were post-adolescent. I've seen you struggle with that. Thank God when my kids grew up, they grew up. But anyway, that doesn't always happen. They did that because of the quality of, of the maternal side of their parenting. But uh, did you follow that? Okay. I'm making points here, so don't mess with me. And the... The thing that is so important at this point is not to, oh, I've got to, I've got to get this done, I've got to do that, I've got these plans, I've got to pick a school. You do have to pick a school. If you have a job, you have to do it. You do it well. Make them glad they hired you. If you should move to another firm, may they feel ripped off because they don't have the quality, the high level of quality of your services to the firm. That's good stuff. But what we must do is do the spiritual work because we are running out of time. If you had, let's see, this is 12. If, if you figured that you had three more years before the wheels completely fell off of the culture of that part of North America between Mexico and Canada. Have three years, maybe three years and a half, three years and a quarter, something like that, before it just absolutely implodes. What would you do? How would you approach reaching out to lost people? How would you approach the Father? How would you intercede? Would it be better? Now, when I stretch it out that long... We say, I'll, I'll start this week, later this week. Oh, yes, you do. I'm not any more procrastinating than you. I'm not any more recalcitrant than you, I think. But the Lord wants us. Now, if I said, okay, you have three and a half weeks or three and a half days, then we'd know, I got to get with it. If he'll stop talking, I'll start before he lets us out of this room, and then I'll finish it up this afternoon, and then tonight I'll revisit it, and we'll do it three or four times tomorrow. Wouldn't we? Because there are people that are not going to come to the Lord because we reach over and pat them on the head. Pat them on the head. That's great, unless they don't want you to touch them. But if it's okay, that's okay. But our power is in prayer. We all say that. Our greatest power is in prayer. But what we want to do is talk to them. If I could just speak to them. I've, I've had to fight that. 
I'm a little tiny bit healthier about that than I used to be. But it was like, if somebody's got a problem, man, if I could just sit down with them, we could just be kind of relaxed and I could just share. I could fix them. Not doesn't happen. And if it does happen, the Lord set it up so that I was going to get to speak right before he did his thing. Now, preaching is of the Lord. He, he raised that up. If you don't like that part of his deal, holler at him. I didn't make the rule. He did put it like this. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching that the lost might get the message and, and might come to the Lord. And those of us who stand and preach know that that is exactly what it is because when we're talking about eternal destiny inside your stubborn heart, and we're supposed to believe that because I search the Scripture and pull out these Scriptures I think are from the Lord and give them to you that suddenly you're just going to be changed? <laughs> Not. It is the power of God. How do we release the power of God in prayer? That's where we speak to the Holy Spirit who goes right over the top of all of the walls that we have built all of the stuff that we say, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. Nobody is really straight. They're all faking it. He goes right over all that stuff right down in the middle of their little skull. And he can just mess around in their brain and make them look at it. It's like, you know, that, that's not so weird. That's not so strange as I used to think. Maybe, maybe I should see if God would speak to me. Somebody's been praying. Somebody's been praying. Otherwise, I've listened to the people who consider themselves atheists or agnostics, and they've got all the answers. And if they don't have all the answers, they have all the questions. And you don't have the answers. And there's not any way you can talk them out of it. But you can pray them out of it. And you might never meet them. You might do that just praying in tongues. If you're not praying in tongues a bunch every day, do it. Why aren't you doing that? Okay. Here is the thing. God likes nothing more than to keep his promises. He has put in my heart that if I can help myself and you, somehow by the Holy Spirit to believe that God means what he says and when he makes a promise he is good for it and that you don't have to grab him by the arm and just start twisting and twisting it and get it up and just higher and higher and higher to make him give you that promise he's probably doing that to you because he loves you he wants to help you Jesus said Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to say before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And Jesus nails it like this. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, that is to continue asking, his boldness he will get up and give him as much as he needs. It's like the little lady who had no uh, material power. She had no social power. 
And she had a lawsuit and she kept going to the judge and saying, give me judgment on this. Give me judgment. Every day, every day, she's sitting in the courtroom and she addresses the judge and says, help me out here. And this judge is a real dandy. He didn't fear God or men. That was his own testimony about himself. And he says, though I don't fear God or man, I'm going to give her what she asks for. Because by her continual coming, she is going to drive me nuts. And that's a pretty close translation of exactly what he said. How much more then will your heavenly Father... Here Jesus continues in Luke 11. So I ask you, uh, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks the door will be opened. And then Jesus puts a little switch on this unjust judge or this neighbor whose everything is set up and you know they just have this one room house and so they roll out the mats and and all the kids and everybody's down and he's not going to he, he's not going to get up and and get that bread that was left over from from their dinner and get, it, it's not that he doesn't want him to have the bread he just doesn't want to be bothered Jesus flips that thing over the unjust judge and the uncaring neighbor which of you fathers if your son asks for fish, we'll give him a snake instead. If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It is the asking person. That's the very context. Ask, seek, knock. You will receive. It will be given to you. The door will be open, Jesus says. And then it's not about a bad father. It's about a father who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. So I want to say this to you. The call to prayer is a call to holiness. Some of you are old enough to know that holiness can mean a lot of different things. Some of you just know that I've preached on holiness and I've quoted that scripture from the Petrine letter that says, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's like, okay, I need that. I want to see the Lord. I want to sign up for holiness. And what holiness is, is a set of attitudes that is wholly devoted to the Lord. It's not, it's not some kind of perfectionism. It's not a list of rules that you keep. It's an attitude that draws you into the presence of God so that he is whole, W-H-O-L-E, he is, and you are wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, given to him, and thus you are wholly, H-O-L-Y. This is the deal. So, when we sit down to pray whatever the posture is, we need to remember that it's not about hustling around and meeting our needs according to our flesh. 
And I could, just, I could just go down the list. I could give you a list of stuff that we do that's really screwy. That's a theological term, by the way. Really screwy. To take up our time. To sully our reputation. To, to uh, compromise our whole heart toward the Lord. And it is time for that stuff to just go away. We do not have time. Um, one, of the great, one of the great things that God built into humankind is the sex drive. If you're married, take good care of that part of your life. If you're not, get that turned over to God. Because that has to be done within the confines of marriage. Don't sully yourself with stuff that will compromise your ability to nail this stuff in prayer. Our time is running out. And, and we could take material stuff and stick it in there. We, we could, some people are into power. Some people are into uh, just amassing a fortune. Some people want some magnificent reputation. Some people are just worried about Defending themselves and, and making sure that the, the little personhood, um, you know, if, if I say, you need to be friendly, smile, and they'll say, no, that's your gift. And I say, no, it's not. I'm naturally shy. No, you're not. Don't tell me what I am. I know. I'm the guy that at age 10 was standing beside Dad, the pastor, as the people went out. He's standing here. And I'm standing here, and he's shaking hands, and they're telling him what a wonderful job he did preaching, and I'm shaking hands like this. And in his inimitable style, he says, boy, when you shake hands with people, you look them in the eye, and you smile. Now, that was age 10. I remember it well. I remember what I was wearing. I had on a full little dude suit. White shirt, tie. Dad had taught me to tie that tie. This was not a clip-on. Tie that tie. I even had a hat that we wore outdoors. You don't wear hats indoors, guys, just for the record. And so it was like that was the greatest gift he could give to me because I was shy. I couldn't think of anything to say to people when I saw them. But if you just give them a big smile, they don't think you're a creep. And if you don't smile, they think you are. Well, that's your gift, or that's my spouse's gift, or, you know, that's her. She's like that. She loves to talk to people. Well, good. That'll make it easier when you're together. She can kind of carry the conversation. It's one of the things I loved when I met Eunice. Oh, my goodness, we could sit by the hour and visit. And I actually did part of the talking. And that was amazing to me. I loved it. And I just, in friendship, I just bonded with this gorgeous creature. It was wonderful. I remember sitting outside Springfield, Missouri, on the side of a lake, a bluff overlooking the lake, Sunday afternoon, just shooting the bull. You remember that, babe? Hey. <laughs> just, just having fun. See, that, that was her gift. But I can fake it. For the purpose of how people can receive 
what I might have to bring to them from the Lord. And if I am all solemn, they're going to think he is the best thing they will think about me is that I'm a sourpuss. Now, if you're a female, they have another word for you. And uh, because this is not a gender issue, this is just a personality. And you land, you hit the ground when you're born. With the, and you're like this. So you don't say, well, it was because my mom did this to me or my dad, you know. No, 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 no. But you see, we got to come out of this. We don't have time for that to be your gift. We've got to get our work done. We're out of time. Our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. More than half U.S. citizens claim to have been born again. I don't believe they have been. I don't. And I'm not their judge. The Lord will have to make that call. But if you ask my opinion, now you have it. And, and you know, I could, I could defend myself and say, well, Jesus taught us to judge their fruit. And the epistles teach us to know the fruit and blah, blah, blah. But I'm just looking at the fruit of our nation. I'm looking at the, at the people who pay uh, these guys that play sports in their incredible uh, set of geniuses, which is not really correct, but genii really sounds stiff. So they're really smart in their physical stuff, and they can do stuff with a basketball or with a football or on skates with a hockey stick or with a, with a hard little ball about that big around and a, and a big wooden or metal bat you know they, they're incredible and so if they're good at that we're so empty we just say oh don't let anybody write on you that's not full of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ and willing to lay down their life for the Lord and for you if you needed it don't let people write on you Think for yourself. Have a brain. If the Lord didn't equip you with one, <clears throat> get real close friends to somebody who, do, who, who, who has one and just stick with them. We don't have time to have as our uh, role models people that have no morals whatsoever. Entertainers who are they're, they're master craftsmen at what they do. And if they're good at music or good at acting or whatever, appreciate their thing. But don't model your life after them. One of the greatest craftspeople in the acting uh, is Shirley MacLaine. I, I don't know anybody that can outdo her in just fitting into a character and just making it so real and so believable. And she's nuts. <laughs> don't pattern your life after her. If you want to be an actor... You might study her techniques. She's, she is absolutely over the top good until she gets off the stage or out from in front of the camera. And then the wheels fall off. And I don't mean that to be a crude. She's, she may have lots of reasons for being the way she is, but boy, she is the way she is. Have a brain. And when you see people around you that are a little bit smarter than that and they're, they're just following as their role model, this person that is just absolutely awful in their lifestyle, in their attitude toward people, try to help them, lift them up a little bit. 
But most of all, give them Jesus because that's what will save them. And so when it comes to prayer, we are here. How much more will your heavenly Father give to them that ask him? It is time to concentrate. Romans 13, it says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy. No. Let's put on the armor of light. May we pray. Lord, you are our hope. 